Hello, welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we have a special guest. We're joined by our close friend, Dylan Thompson. Dylan, say hey. Hey, guys. How's it going? And today we're talking about eighth grade. You having a banana? Oh, this. I, I was just grabbing a banana. I thought you hated bananas. No. I swear, like a month ago, I asked you if you wanted a banana, and you got all angry at me, and you said, you hate bananas, and I always forget that you hate bananas, and I actually think I wrote a note down about it on my app thing, so I wouldn't forget. Uh. I, I don't hate them anymore. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll just eat it right now. Who cares? Are you sure you like them? Mm-hmm. Honey, you, you don't you don't look like Fine, I don't like bananas, okay? This is a young adult drama. Directed by Bo Burnham. The cast includes Elsie Fisher, Josh Hamilton, and Benjamin's brother, Gabe. That's right. Shout out to my brother. Um, I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon Prime Video. Dylan, how did you watch it? I watched it in theaters originally, and then again on Amazon Prime Video. Excellent. Yeah, I actually watched this in theaters originally also and it was like a limited release they only played it for like once a day at my local theater for like five days and then that was it it was gone that was it that was all it was i thought it was huge it wasn't even out in my like my local theater when it was originally released it was like a wasn't it like a limited release i don't know what about you dylan was it like playing a lot at your theater I don't know. I saw it in the middle of the day, which would lead me to believe that maybe it was showing a lot, but it was like me and three grandparents in the theater, which was an interesting experience in and of itself. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I, I don't have like the box office stats on this movie, but, but I would bet that it, it probably didn't get a lot of run in theaters. Yeah, it was kind of an indie film. Um, what, what's that? A4 or is it? Yeah, A24, A24 produced it. Yeah. A24, yeah. So anyways, okay, Joey, what? Wasn't give us there the something cin- to do with, oh man, there was something to do with them like having special screenings of this movie. Hold on. Bo Burnham, the film's writer-director, is pushing back against the MPAA rating and screening the film free for patrons of all ages. With the support of independent production company A24, at least one theater in each state will show the movie on Wednesday. So on Wednesday night, no ratings will be enforced. You can, if you've been through eighth grade, eighth grade is for you. It's not just adult content. This is eighth grade. I totally isn't agree that, with that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into that uh, once we dive in. But first, Joey, go ahead and give us the synopsis. A young girl goes to a pool party. Okay. That is basically uh, eighth grade. And uh, we'll break I'll it down. Up. Yeah. We'll break it down a little bit more for you uh let's get into our pros dylan go ahead and give us what you liked about this film sure um i mean the big thing that i liked about this that i'm sure we'll probably touch on more is the way that this film explores the idea of kind of having two selves so like the you know i mean the way that kayla says it is like you know like you like being yourself um and i'm trying to do the hand motion she does in her videos as i do it but um (laughs) the but like you know you see from the first second of the of the film like that she has this like online life and this like personal life, which is something that obviously I think anybody can relate to no matter what extent you live that to. Um, I really dig the soundtrack to this movie as well. 
Um, I think that it, it sets the tone in a really interesting way. It's really unique. Um, it's created by the British composer Anna Meredith, just for any composer heads oh, wow. out there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing I like about this movie is um, it, it has really, really low stakes to me, um, which is something that I found really refreshing. I, I've heard you guys talk about in the past about, you know, like superhero movies and things like that. And all that has its place. But it was really nice in like the middle of the summer last year to get to see a movie that's just about a couple days in a girl's life. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. And I don't think it's interesting that you say stakes because I feel like the stakes in this movie are appropriate for if you're in eighth grade, you know, like the things that she deals with are the biggest things in the world, even though they seem so trivial to us. But I remember being like that old and thinking about, you know, having different values and thinking that that stuff was so important. Um, so to have that I mean, put at the same level as the stakes of something as big as like a superhero movie, like uh, kind of validates that those kind of feelings. So that's pretty cool. Um, stuff that I liked about this movie, I, it's a very heart-wrenchingly real film. Um, it's absurd in exactly the way that real life is absurd. The dialogue feels so real and just, like, you can't even watch it. It's so real. Uh, the characters are extremely well-developed, and Elsie Fisher just really stands out. Um, it's one of, the, one of the best performances of last year, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said so far. Uh, heaping praise onto this film. The soundtrack is one of the most unique aspects in this movie, which is totally unique in, in a lot of ways. Uh, Kayla's movies uh, are, are videos that she creates give this movie a real structure uh, that keeps the, I think it has a very appropriate pacing. Elsie Fisher's performance is amazing. It's one of those it things really where it's like, how do they find this girl? She Because she is that young uh, and to be that talented. She was just, she was perfect for this role. The, it's a funny movie. Uh, it is sad. It definitely gets me right in the feels, but at the same time, there are genuine laugh out loud moments, uh, especially with the way that they treat just the absurdity of middle schooler humor. One of my favorite moments in this film was after they announced the superlatives, the uh, I think it's the principal walks into the room and he's like, congratulations, superlative winners. And he was just like, does the weakest dab of oh all time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that dab was in the trailer and that convinced me to see the movie. <laughs> uh, so funny. And uh, so I, I thought that was really good. And it definitely has that kind of indie vibe. You know, you, you, when you see this film, it feels different than a lot of like the Hollywood blockbuster. You know, yeah, yeah, there's a lot sure. more artistic direction that goes into it. OK, so um, let's talk about some of the stuff we didn't like. Um, Dylan, do you want to start off? Yeah. Um, so my thing actually kind of touches on what both of you guys are talking about, about how sort of real and grounded in reality this film feels, you know, from every second of the dialogue, even at its most cringy and kind of most awkward. Um, the My one issue, and I'm sorry in advance to Ben's brother, Gabe, who who I, I do really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, his performance was fantastic. But uh, I found the character of Gabe, who is like, of course, the kind of uh, maybe even more awkward than Kayla friend that she meets at the pool party and then later has their little sort of chicken nugget Rick and Morty hangout uh, towards the end of the movie. Um, I found him like a little bit unrealistic. He kind of played as like comic relief to me at times. And I found him really, really funny. Um, but it actually kind of took me out of the movie a little bit because he was the only character who it really felt like he was kind of performing than just acting like a normal middle schooler. And maybe I'm forgetting how weird I was in middle school. I was probably weirder than that. But like, it just took me out a little bit in the two scenes that he's in. Yeah, I, I do 
he does kind of stand out as his own uh, guy in this movie. Like he's kind of living in his own world. But I feel like I remember kids who definitely lived in their own world <laughs> in middle school. Uh, but I one of my cons for this film was that I think the movie is already aging a bit. And not necessarily that that's a I think that it was most applicable when it was originally released. Watching it in theaters when it first came out, it was as relevant as it will be. The longer this, the, the longer time goes on since this movie was made, the more it will become kind of a, I don't know if I'm using this word correctly right, but like a period piece where you'll be able to watch it and be like, oh, that's what it was like to live in, like in eighth grade that specific year. Because I think dabbing is a really low hanging fruit one because dabbing is definitely, it's like, oh, I know exactly what time period it is if I see some dab uh, but there's even other things in here like references and so you know social media platforms that i'm sure will change in the future and potentially won't hold up as much uh but that's kind of the price you pay when you do something that's this like grounded in true reality um also i think this movie's a little bit more relatable to girls than it is to boys there's definitely a lot of relatable things for anyone who's gone through middle school in this film but i think they do they kind of not to avoid, but you don't see some of the boy-specific challenges as much as you see from the girls. And uh, also, most quiet as a superlative. Come on, that's just mean. <laughs> that's definitely a real thing, though. You, you had most you quiet superlative for, mo- for least changed? No. You ever think about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> we had that for sure. supposed to be, like, good things. I think we had most they're talkative. Supposed to be, they're, they're trying to give, like, recognition to the kids that don't necessarily get any recognition. But they're, they're uh, okay. doing a terrible job. Of I can it see that. Don't see how, yeah. But I can also see how most quiet. Come on, like yeah. No, it's that's the that's the irony of it for sure. Okay, I I want to address both of you guys' cons just just briefly. First of all, I was definitely Gabe. I still am Gabe. You know that that one line where he says, "Here's the trick." I say that all the time. You know, like I always have a secret. I always have a secret method. I always have a strategy. And then when he's sitting down to talk to uh to Kayla, and out of nowhere, he's like. Do you believe in God? Like, <laughs> I think so me. I struggle so much with like leading into conversations. It's always jumping straight to where I want to be. And um, yeah, I, I really like that a lot. I felt like he was such a good re- reflection of, of Kayla and that he was awkward in his own way, um, but also so self-reflective that it kind of held himself back. So I thought that was all, all re- like really, really interesting. Um, for the, for Ben's uh, not aging well, uh, a piece. Um, I honestly think this movie subverts that feeling in a big way. Like I would describe this movie as a time capsule, to use imagery from this film. Nice. Um, I I think uh, Bo Burnham, all of Bo Burnham's uh, stand-up specials reflect his current state in his current life. You know, it's harder to relate to his older stuff when you're older than him when he made it when you are you know when you're 22 and you watch um uh, what's the the one not not words 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 yeah what you you understand exactly what he's going through and you can you can see it so perfectly but it also ages with you right so as you grow older it becomes less relevant to you this movie does the same thing i think it's a time capsule of what it was like to be alive at this time and this age at this time and going forward, it's going to, it may be a kind of a period piece, but it's always going to be something that you can return to. He grounds it in um, this like now time period so that people will always understand what it was like to grow up during this time. 
But there are other aspects to it that make it timeless, I think. And it shows that as things change, things do stay the same. Anyway, I want to get more into that later. Some of the things that I found that I didn't like very much was uh, uh, some of the parts I felt were really hard to watch. There was a lot of very, very cringy moments, especially the kind of implied sexual assault near the end, which felt kind of, it didn't necessarily feel shoehorned in, but it felt like uh, they got to address this, you know, they have to have this in there. Um, so I, I it was, it was an interesting way to address that situation, but it definitely made me feel uncomfortable for many reasons. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but I think that may have been the intended purpose and, but we'll get to that for sure. That's okay. a very important part of this movie. Okay. So, um, as Dylan is our guest, I have some questions for you. Um, so that we can just start talking about things. First of all, you could have picked any movie. Um, what movie, why did you pick this movie? Yeah. Um, this movie is I think I suggested a couple of films to Ben, and I'm really glad that, that this one we ended up going with. Um, this movie is probably definitively my favorite film that I saw last year. Um, not like my rankings of movies matter to anyone, um, but like I, I just found this film for a lot of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into, like super relatable and actually like enlightening in, in a way. Um, I think that this movie tackles issues like anxiety and loneliness in, in ways that like actually kind of taught me things about myself or helped me understand things about myself and the way that people operate and especially the way that I felt in, you know, in middle school and high school um, when, again, I probably was like a Gabe, you know, um, but, uh, but I mean, and then beyond that, I, I, you know, I've loved Bo Burnham for, you know, like my entire content consuming life uh, whenever that started. Uh, and it's really interesting to see in kind of the way, same way that you said, Joey, like how your interaction with his, like the art that he makes grows you grow up with him at least for people of our generation and so you know like yeah. i thought that like um you know like his like youtube songs were funny when i was 15 but now i doubt that i would laugh at them at all but now but this movie like shook me to my core because i'm 24 <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah uh that's that's definitely kind of why i wanted to go with this one yeah i, I think those are very valid reasons i i would have chosen it for the same reasons i think um yeah so i guess my question is really what, how do you relate to Kayla and what ways specifically do you think that, you know, her, her struggle or her story in this movie reflects your life? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I definitely was like an anxious, overthought everything, always in my own head, middle school or high school. And, and I guess the point of this movie, which is kind of the point that I was saying of why I picked it, is that like almost everyone was like that. And a lot of us still feel that way today. You know, I'm not trying to speak like that yeah, deeply yeah, yeah. on it, but like. Um, yeah, and, and that's why I really relate to it. Cause I think no matter who you are and what life situation you're in and how old you are, you can relate to the idea of thinking that other people are perceiving you in a different way and over and overanalyzing things. And like everyone has anxiety about certain things. And like I said, I think that this movie actually gave me kind of like a better grasp on how, on the things that I have anxiety about and what causes it and how you can deal with it. Um, and so I really, really strongly relate to her, um, like yeah yeah it was it was kind of eye-opening well one of the things that i think this movie does it's really powerful is it it does show that you know we're all like this to have those thoughts on your own can be very isolating but to see it in such popular media that hey we're all like this we're all elsie fisher in a little bit uh in a way it, it helps you to uh th that relieves some anxiety just in itself is to know that you're not alone so uh, like we said earlier, you know, Bo Burnham says that this movie is made for people that are in eighth, in eighth grade, and it certainly doesn't hold back any, anything, you know, there's a lot of cursing, there's a lot of, like, adult themes in this movie, 
um, which are definitely things that people deal with when they're, you know, 14 or 13 or 14. So, you know, when you, if you grow up, I'm not, I don't know if you're, when you want to have kids or not, but if when you grow up, if you're in charge of some children, would you want them to see this movie? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, but yeah, if I if I had some some children under my purview, um, I, <laughs> I I like the way that you put that. I'm in charge of. Um, I I I think I would show them this movie, but I I really don't think I would be comfortable showing the scene in the car towards the end that you referred to the sort of like implied sexual assault or like you know at least partial sexual assault scene. Um, I, I think that that's something that maybe creates a conversation of itself and there's a time and place for that but i I would a out of sort of what i'm saying about how i find this really relatable and i'm wondering how people who are the actual age of it relate to it but b i would really like to know what people who are in eighth grade feel about because as much as we probably wouldn't like to admit this we're pretty far removed from that now and like you can you interact with it on a different level like i'd be really curious as to what my like my younger brother who's 16 thinks about this movie especially the way that people you know, like use Snapchat and Instagram to interact, which like now I'm sounding really washed, but like that, you know, in a way that, in a way that like we don't like inherently. And actually I sound like the yeah. high schooler at that, at the table. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, sound, I sound like my guy, Trevor, who I know we're going to talk about later. Yes. Um, but like, but like seriously, when it, like, because technology moves so quickly and social media moves so quickly, like you, generations are like, they're like micro generations that get created. And so I'd be, really be curious to see what someone who is in eighth grade or ninth grade right now like right right now thinks about this film yeah i think that's a really good point because it's it's easy for us to be like wow this is so accurate i'm so glad they showed us what it's like to be in eighth grade right now because of certain things that are still true about eighth grade based on our own experiences but we don't really know uh for sure it would be interesting to hear from an eighth grader if this is accurate um like one of the things that they always do is they have their cell phones out all the time and i was like you're allowed to have your cell phone out at school because when i was in school you i couldn't feel like they just out. can't stop it at this point you know yeah people, they know people have them they know they're using them under the desks and stuff. They just have to either accept it or, you know, I don't know, take like nu- go to the nuclear option. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like a, that actually is an interesting point on it, too. Of just like the how it's become acceptable to always have like I was talking to my younger brother about this the other day, not as research for this podcast. And we're just communicating because <laughs> we're siblings. Um, but uh, but he was telling me he was like, yeah, like, I, you know, I'm listening to music probably like like five hours a day and i'm like what do you mean he's like i just have my like headphones in when i'm in class i'm like and that's just cool like you can just do that it's like it's the thing now like we just always have our phones so yeah i think that like it's interesting to see how how things have kind of changed and i'm and i'm wondering like you said ben to see if that holds up or if like even a year out from that movie it's already like this is dated right yeah right okay so let's move into our kind of overall section um dylan we have you here first so why don't you start off yeah, so, you know, my my two things kind of coincide with one another of, like, my big, big takeaway from this movie, um, which is just kind of the genius of the direction by Bo Burnham. Um, I mean, like, first of all, this is his directorial debut. I think it's absolutely incredible. I think he probably deserved a lot more credit than he got. He got, like, very little nominations for the direction of this film, and I think he won, like, one newcomer award for writing. But, um, but like, I just think that, you know, which you touched on, Ben, the narrative structure of using the videos to break up, um, the film is really, really clever. It makes the movie fly by in a movie that's already, you know, only 90 minutes long. But also, I like the way that it gives you kind of a perspective on Kayla's, um, like, personal thoughts without her actually saying them to you. Because, you know, in, an, in a traditional movie, 
the video diaries, it would be like that movie, like 127 hours or whatever, where James Franco's like talking into that. He's like, I'm still stuck in the cave or whatever. And like, um, <laughs> he's like in a rock. I don't mean to make light yeah, of it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but like, but it's, she's actually saying the opposite of what she's feeling, which is again, the idea that I talked about of kind of, you know, your two selves, the selves you present to people and the self that you feel inside. Um, and I think that it's interesting that that's how we learn about our character is through the things that she's not saying as opposed to the things that she is saying. Um, and then kind of bouncing off that, I like the way that the direction kind of makes us live and stay with Kayla the entire time. Like you're there for every single awkward, cringy, like anxiety inducing moment of her life in this, you know, two or three day span or whatever it is. Um, like the direction I even noticed, like there are scenes where if she's talking to someone, the camera's behind her. So it makes it seem like you're from her perspective looking at that person or like whenever she puts her headphones in and she's listening to music the sound drops out and it's like filtered out to you because if she can't hear anything you can't hear anything she goes underwater at the pool party the camera goes underwater with her and it filters out like every single thing that she experiences you experience as if you're kind of living in her head which i feel like helps drive that point home of like the anxiety of living in your head and always overanalyzing and thinking about things from not sort of understanding how other people are perceiving you yeah, that's right, because you never see it from another person's perspective. I think that's a really good point, too. I, ju- I didn't realize that until you just said it, but even like when she gets into the pool for the first time and dunks her head, the camera follows her, and then later when Gabe wants to have the breath-holding competition, um, which he totally smoked her in, by the way. <laughs> Very impressive. Uh, but when she does dunk for the short amount of time that she does the camera goes with her. And that's such a subtle, subtle thing, but I think it's really important that you bring that up. I didn't appreciate that before, but yeah, you're exactly right. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, for me, like the, the direction, everything really kind of brings you into it. Just like Dylan was saying, but it really, the story, uh, itself, um, really affected me and I'm almost hesitant to talk about it just because I feel like it's so personal. Um, and uh, just, just to start off, uh, like, uh, Elsie Fisher just does an amazing job in portraying an entire generation in this movie. You can't help but love her and feel for her and want her to succeed. And it's just really incredible, incredibly balanced and vulnerable per- like performance like she doesn't wear a lot of makeup so you can see like her zits and everything like can you imagine being that old and like being like hey like bo burnham comes to you and like hey you're not putting any makeup for the scene like we want to see the, like your raw skin you know displayed on a you know 30 foot screen for the world to see um and it just becomes comes off this like extremely careful and authentic um but this this place is really like intense level of control and talent um that i feel like is going to boost her for the rest of her career you know if she decides to do more movies in the future She's always going to be able to say, oh, remember when I was in eighth grade? And everyone's going to be like, you're hired. <laughs> the, um, the dialogue is also like really impressive. It feels too real. It's like, we, we were just, I mean, uh, we went to the quotes later, but it, like the, the structure of the quotes was so strange for this movie just because everyone kind of stammers through um, what they're saying. They kind of repeat themselves. They struggle to be understood, which is like, much like real life. But instead of it kind of being annoying, it's really endearing and it moves the movie closer to being reality. That like normally when movies struggle to seem to have realistic dialogue, it, it bothers me because I feel like movies should have a heightened dialogue to reflect, you know, a movie atmosphere. But this movie is so concerned with awesome authenticity and so concerned with showing something that's really happening and all of the you know flaws and everything. Just like Dylan was saying, where it, you know, you know, it never cuts away from an awkward moment; it lingers on those because. In real life, you linger on awkward moments. Awkward moments are your whole life. So, like, to make that a part of the narrative and make that part of the dialogue really kind of hammers that home in a way that's 
really interesting. And I think it kind of subverts something that makes it normally really difficult to bring you into a movie. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it, it's one of the things that is so consistent in this film. Even the part where they're at the fire and uh, they're talking. I keep calling her Elsie, but Kayla is talking to her dad. <laughs> and it's a really vulnerable moment for her. And it's it's honestly one of the most uh, impactful parts of this film. It's hard to watch because you're seeing her struggle with her emotions. And you're seeing her dad struggle to help her with that. And even though he ends up succeeding in that effort... It's not like he says some sort of amazing line that is clearly out of a Hollywood script that suddenly changes everything. It's more of just kind of him fumbling to find the words to express himself about how much he loves his daughter. And, and it's awkward. It is. There's, there's not like a great line you can take out of there and be like, you have to be like uh, Kayla's dad. That's like the ideal dad. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's awkward. And it's real. And I think that by having it be that that consistent awkwardness, keeps it, it makes the movie that much more authentic. It doesn't bring you out of the movie to have this real life touching moment. It doesn't bring you out of the realness because even the the touching moment, even the the moment of clarity is still jumbled up and awkward. Yeah, exactly. And like there are different aspects or different like levels of like kind of cringe that you kind of go through in this movie, right? Like there's a part where she's in the car right right before this where um you know that that boy tries to get her to take her shirt off. Like that that's hard to watch for a different reason than that scene with her dad or that scene with Gabe at the end. You know, both of those scenes kind of have that aspect of like, I kind of want to look away. Like this makes me uncomfortable. But one of them is like, oh no, like I can't believe this is happening. And another thing is like, oh, this is so cute and endearing. Like I can't stand it. You know, I just want to squeeze them to death. Um, but like the other thing that I kind of already mentioned that I think is really ambitious is that this movie like dates itself by becoming that time capsule. But it also like just kind of strips that away and really shows what Kayla's dealing with. You know, it doesn't put the blame on social media. It doesn't, like, linger on saying, like, oh, the problem is technology. Oh, the problem is this or that. It's like, kids are, kids are going to be kids, and they're always going to act a certain way, and um, especially at this age. You know, like, when this movie starts, like, you hear the slang being misused by the adults, the stupid jokes, references to social media, um, but, like, that doesn't necessarily date this movie. It kind of encapsulates a whole feeling or entire, like, feeling of a generation and i mean i'm curious and i am curious to know what's going to happen with it like will will in 10 years will this be totally out of date and totally unrelatable or you know you know will people continue to find this like enlightening as we as we have um and you know the question is like what what is better like is it better to have something that lasts a long time or something that's really impactful right now I think you might get kind of the best of both worlds here because you can't know if it's going to be uh, something relatable into the future. I guess one part of it is uh, this is kind of going back to our Clockwork Orange episode where we discuss NADSAT. I'm not totally hip to all of the lingo that kids are using, but the whole Gucci thing, I don't know <laughs> if that's necessarily a actual uh, real life phrase that's used all the time or was used all the time. Kind of like dabbing obviously was popular. Uh, the kid who's like LeBron James, <laughs> that was obviously a real thing and, and a very good reference. But I think the, the whole like Gucci thing is is along the lines of that, but not necessarily real. So it might stand the test of time. Hmm. Yeah, the the one thing I will say on the on the Gucci thing is just that uh, I mean this may not give that much more kind of credibility to it, but 
Um, I know that the story behind that apparently is that that was a thing that Kayla just did or um, that Elsie Fisher. See, now I'm doing the opposite way. That Elsie Fisher just <laughs> did on set when they were taking the scene. And like she would just say Gucci, like sort of like semi ironically after stuff. Um, and so like that is at least like somewhat realistic in the sense that like I know beyond that Bo Burnham took like a lot of lines and interactions that he had with the actors in this film and put that into the script like the script was very fluid because he was very willing to learn from them in an attempt to not make this feel like you know i'm like a 25 year old man or however old he is making a movie about a middle school girl wow right yeah that's really amazing (laughs) i mean to humble yourself like that is amazing yeah um i don't know like for for me this constant self-reflection that that uh kayla kind of goes through is like very affecting and very like personal to me you know like i've always felt like i was shy and um that like i always felt like people were kind of always watching me but also that i was kind of faded into the background and this constant like feeling of why can't i just be better you know it's kind of haunted me this whole life my whole life i've done a lot of the things that kayla does where like she writes down past positive positive um, affirmations she makes like elaborate lists with unattainable goals right what she says like ha- like my goal for today is to get a friend and a best friend and a boyfriend. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all, like become more confident. Like I'm just gonna do that. You know, all I have to do is this, and then I can, then I'll be that. You know, I'm always looking for that silver bullet, and just like Kayla is, it's something that's gonna be like, if I could just wake up on time, you know, if I could just run every day, if I could just eat healthier, if I could just do this, if I just did that, then everything would change and everything would be better. But what this ends up happening, it ends up happening is that I can't, you know, achieve these unattainable goals as easily as I wish. And then I end up just kind of hating myself more. Um, but, and there's other times where I'm just kind of overthinking the situation or catastrophizing. I see this with Kayla too. There's that one scene, I think that with the banana, that is probably my favorite scene in this whole movie. Like, so her, the set it up. So her, she, she's going to practice doing like sucking cock with a banana oh. oral, oral sex with a banana. <laughs> Uh, which that whole scene where she like realizes the, where the bananas are, where like, the, the camera pans over and then they see the bananas, it's just so hilarious. Um, and then she, her dad walks in, um, and he's not even paying attention. She, he sees that she's holding a banana, and she's he's like, "I thought you hated bananas." And she says, "Yes, I do hate bananas." And then she's like, "I'm no, I don't hate bananas. I'm gonna you know pretend I don't eat bananas." It's so hilarious because like she she like goes to the effort of trying to make it seem like she's there to try a banana, right? Like. She ha- it's like this weird like uh um like hodgepodge of between being an adult and being a child. And this this whole movie is kind of about that, but this one scene I think like hammers it home really clearly to me. Like she feels like she has to prove that she's going to eat it, right? Like she has to she's like demonstrating that she doesn't that she thinks that they can still see inside her head. Yet she is like self-aware enough to know what she needs to do to dispel the fear that she has made up for herself. Does that make any sense? Like she's, she thinks that her parents can see everything that she's thinking and yet she has to be somewhat more self-aware, so self-aware that she has to overcome that in a way. And it results in the most absurd scene, like the whole movie where she just takes a bite of banana, almost throws up and then throws it at her dad saying, I hate bananas. And she goes, fine, I don't like bananas. Okay. One of the best lines in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this this like shows the absurdity of puberty like through this extreme le- leap of logic. Yep. You know if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Like she's she's straddling the line between being like a self-aware adult and being like a child who's scared of her parents' approval. It's I mean it's really amazing. And can we just discuss 
or just appreciate Josh Hamilton uh, for his role as the single father. He is so he is such like the dorky dad. He plays that so <laughs> well, especially in that scene because he comes in, he doesn't suspect a thing. Like he walks, in, he's looking at the mail, and he's like, "Hey, what are you up to?" She's like, "Nothing," and he's like cool you know he's like looking at <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. and then he's he's like desperately trying to figure his daughter out because he's like i fucking hate bananas and he's he's thinking back he's like i think i made a note in the notes app because you said you hated bananas and he's not doing it because he's like you're lying right now trying to figure her out he's right, he's, he's just trying confused. to be a good dad you know he's like i I, for why do I think you hate bananas? You know, <laughs> and then she throws a banana and it hits him right in the chest. Like, and he's just totally <laughs> bewildered by this whole experience, and he plays that role so well. Like, it, uh, Elsie, I think Elsie Fisher definitely carries this movie, but having a dad like Josh Hamilton uh, definitely completes the picture of her home life, uh, and he did a great job, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I like I said, I think this movie really captures that weird transition between child and person. And the high schoolers are so much taller and well put together compared to the insanity of middle school. But like, you know, compared to the middle schoolers, they've grown up. They're like, you know, adults in a way. But I mean, that's not necessarily true. Like they, they don't have a much better handling of what's going on anymore than, than Kayla does. And that's kind of clear through their interactions, right? The things that they try to do and the things they try to talk about. But like the movie really highlights this, this cycle of change, right? Of how when you, you grow through these predetermined stages of your life, and they kind of shape you into the person you eventually become. And as you grow older, this still happens, but it's so much subtler. Yet, we're still hoping for the future and cringing at the past and living and learning and growing. It's awesome. It is. It's beautiful. And it's something that, um, I don't know, if you don't put it in this like eighth grade, you don't sell it like you're, like you're saying, like, ooh, what was eighth grade like? You know, it might be something you're not really that interested in tackling. Topics that are kind of uncomfortable, uh, but he does really make it approachable. Also, putting Bo Burnham's name on it definitely, I think, makes everybody <laughs> want to check it out. Yeah, for sure. So w- when I left middle school, um, I told myself, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back. Um, <laughs> and this movie helps to reaffirm my feelings towards middle school because I think it's a terrible place for everyone. And I'm not saying that like my middle school, you know, they like whipped us or like tortured us or anything, even though I might feel uh, that way. It's just an awkward time in any young person's life. Uh, it's something we all have to go through. And it's just so interesting to uh, take a look at that and see what still there and what has changed and one of the things that we kind of touched on that's really changed is the presence of cell phones how old are you guys when you got your first cell phone i was in eighth grade when i got my first cell phone wait okay so you cell phone or smartphone cell phone something that you could text people on and call people something that gave you access to like regular access to your classmates went outside of school uh high school i had my uh ninth grade oh i I'm going to sound really spoiled, but I think I was in sixth grade. I had like the walkie talkie so that like if I was if I was like playing somewhere, I remember I have like a distinct memory. The first time I got it, I was like at the tennis courts and I like walkie back to my parents. I'm like, I'm at the tennis courts. And they were like, (laughs) "Okay, be safe. (laughs) Wait a second. Wait a second. Where's the football? You had the the Nextel chirp. Was that you? Yeah. 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 It made like the noise when you like walkied in or whatever. Um, Yeah. How did that work? Was it actually like a walkie talkie, Uh, like radio frequency or was it like through the network i i feel like it was see i'm not gonna remember all the technology i I probably didn't understand the technology to be honest but like my thought is that you had like a few contacts that you could like walkie so like my family all had like a plan like me and like my step siblings we all had like a family plan and we could walkie talkie each other 
But I don't I might be making this up. Like I might I might have never even had this phone. Like was there a range in the walkie-talkie function or is it Yeah, yeah, it was, it was like, it's pretty short distance. It definitely wasn't like some okay. kind of like, you know, like military transmitter or whatever. Like I think <laughs> I, which, satellite yeah, phone. Yeah, exactly. So so I yeah, I don't but but that being said, I don't have memories of using that to communicate with friends. I don't know if I was like allowed to have like I, I feel like the first time I was, I think I was in eighth grade as well, Ben, the first time that I actually had like the phone that flips up one way and then it flips the other way for texting. So like, I right. definitely remember, like I'd, I'd be at dinner just like, <laughs> like flip, like just like knee deep in my, just texting like, hey, period to like 14 people or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, a, it's, 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 I don't know, we're, we all grew up in the same time frame. So we had similar phone experiences. But back then, it was like, if you had a phone, if you had a phone, not ever, it wasn't an assumed fact. If you had a phone, you might try to sneak and use it during school. But it wasn't something people assumed you'd had. And even outside of school, uh, it was still somewhat uncommon in middle school at least to be expected to interact with people who weren't like your friends going to their houses and stuff um and this kind of leads me into social media where it's a it's something you can't escape Uh, like the part where um I keep wanting to say Elsie Fisher, Kayla, the time like where Kayla is scrolling through all her social media feeds as she, after she gets home from school, that terrified me because as a kid, that FOMO feeling, you, it's harder to control that. Even today as an adult, you're like, oh man, you know, I see my friends like on a cruise or I see my friends all together and I'm not there. And you have that feeling where uh, you're just like, dang, I wish I was there, that FOMO. But as a kid, you are way more susceptible to those feelings affecting your emotions and and uh, I was just like seeing the guys at the arcade playing together or seeing the girls, you know, getting their nails done and stuff. I can't imagine the kind of uh, anxiety that would induce in an age. Yeah, like all these people are having fun without me, you know, yeah. all these people are doing stuff and, I, and I'm not invited. I'm not there. You know, where where are my clicks and stuff? I don't know. Yeah, I thought about that same thing. It's just like I remember being in middle school and like when my friends did something without me or like did anything or talked about something without me or I wasn't included in something. That was the worst. I mean, that was like the, you know, that would haunt me for a week uh, until like I got to exclude someone else later. <laughs> so like, but like the, uh, this pace of like technology uh, alone, I mean, the technology we have today, I mean, like where, you know, entire relationships or like friendships can be broken up or come together in a single night through like social media. Like if you're not on there seeing it happen, then you, you're not participating in a way that of the other kids in your, your uh, generation are. It's one of those things where I, I, it's something I always talk about with other people. I'm like, if you were a parent in today's like age, if you had a kid right now, what age did you let them have access to social media and access to a cell phone and technology and stuff? Like, what is the correct strategy to go about raising a kid in a world where, you know, this stuff can be harmful, but at the same time, not knowing how to use it, not being technology literate is also harmful. So you have to decide yeah. and, and, what I got from this after a little bit more reflection is, you know, maybe I think it would be better to wait because uh, eventually they're not going to be able to escape it. The longer you can keep them out of that, like social media ecosystem, you might be saving them uh, some unnecessary anxiety where they can go home from school and be like, I'm going to forget about everyone at school for two days, you know, for the weekend. Uh, and then I can deal with that when I return. Yeah, but that but there's also like that feeling of like of, of being left out, you know, like if you're not part of that crucial conversation, if you're not part of that one thing, you know, if you're not invited to party A, you're not going to get invited to the next party or the party after that or whatever. And you're and then you're excluded from whatever, you know, like that. 
that happens and that happens a lot because kids you know don't understand how people's feelings uh, like really affect them at that at that age you know and even if they do they're sometimes they're they're mean about it for me like i want my kids to have a device early on like when they're like five or six but i don't know about social media social media i think i'd probably wait longer i i would lock down the device but i want them to know how to use it and learn how to not use it like teach them how to like be responsible and teach them that that's not the only thing that exists but i like i think part of our problem um is that like we got it at an age when we didn't really have any restrictions you know it was too late for us to kind of learn how to use it correctly and then we just kind of got this unfettered access slowly and then we became more and more addicted to it and i think the people that are raising their kids now i mean like the parents in eighth grade for example they don't know any better than we do and so like they just think oh their kid all the other kids have this we should let my kid have it but i feel like as we grow older and as we see this technology develop we'll become a little bit more responsible and we'll understand exactly how it's how it works and how it affects people and maybe be able to step in sooner and say, "Here's the here are good habits that you can follow while still being a person." I mean, this, this is something we talked about before, but like, to exclude your kids from that environment is to exclude them from their society. Yeah, I guess it just depends on what your opinion is on uh, how important those years online are, um, especially because you said you'd limit some social media. So I, I guess uh, it depends on what level of involvement you want them to have with that device. Because it is important to learn how to interact with people online. Like my dad recently got a uh, Facebook account not that long ago. Recently? Like how recently? Like a year ago, I think. A year or okay. a year and a half ago. And that's the, besides LinkedIn, I think that's his only form of social media. And uh, shout outs to my dad, though, if you're listening right now, dad. Um, but there are times where I'll see him like share something on Facebook or post something and he can do whatever he wants, right? But there, I, it'll kind of make me cringe because I'm like, <laughs> this is something I would have done back in my early days on Facebook, where it's like you just you, there's certain things that you uh, like learn work and don't work or uh, portray you your online self in a certain way that you want to sure. be perceived. Um, so it isn't. I think that for the next generation, it's probably pretty important to learn that so you can use uh, like the internet to the best of its capabilities i feel like by being thrown into the fire by being part of like the first wave of facebook and you know youtube and twitter and all that i've learned certain things that make me better at using these as tools as opposed to a source yeah, of but you learned it the hard way that's true you know there's not like there's not any books written on how like this or anything there's not any you know classes on on this you kind of have to learn as everyone else is learning i might be screwed right. up because of it i don't know probably <laughs> probably right yeah i know i am <laughs> so i mean it's just um i mean i think it's uh, as a parent like you have to kind of accept at a certain level like you're going to fail at some points um but i feel like this is something that's going to be a um you know a big choice that you have to make but also something that you could you could have both things right you could have people be responsible online and use those tools effectively without getting sucked into an endless feed. Well, I don't know. I think when I finally, I'll make that decision. What age is appropriate when I, uh, when I finally end up having my robo son, uh, when I finally let him download your robo son will be connected to the internet when he's born. You'll have no choice. No, you won't. I'll, I'll turn it (laughs) off. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a, an endless land. Dad, why won't you let me see the world? (laughs) Why do you keep me in the basement? Um, why are you ashamed of me? (laughs) Shut up, son. (laughs) And I put him on mute. I'll turn you off. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> but uh, what about you, Dylan? Do you have any sort of projected time frame for when you'll give your potential kids a cell phone or, uh, or uh, social media access? That's a great question. I mean, I feel like Joy made a really interesting point about this, too, about how you, you are kind of discounting them from what has become like the currency of social interactions, right? Like if you hold them off from it, like and just thinking about the way that things were when we were in middle school, I just feel like friendships are kind of built and lost or created or destroyed so quickly when you're that age like i i remember so that there, yeah there were times where like i would think i was friends with somebody one day because we were like like cracking up in like typing class and 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 like <laughs> and like next thing you know like we're hanging out that friday or like the same thing could happen in you know in like health class and then the next day we like don't talk to each other you know what i mean it's like i feel like people are so fickle and so if that is the way like that sort of validation like liking stuff commenting on stuff like is the way that you know you kind of have to exchange that social currency right to to interact with somebody then it's worth maybe considering giving it to your kids but at the same time like yeah it can destroy you because like i struggle every day to deal with the kind of like fomo and isolation that you guys are talking about because of social media like if i didn't have you know snapchat or instagram like i wouldn't know that a bunch of my good friends were hanging out like yesterday without me but and it, there's no way i would have been able to process that when i was 14 so it's like an impossible question which is probably why like i haven't like procreated you know what i mean um but, but I'll, I'll i mean it's i i don't know if there's a right answer to y'all's point you know what i mean right and it's i think it's something that the parents of today are figuring out themselves and we might be facing different challenges in 10 years you know and the next generation ought to figure that out so i don't know i think it's an interesting question but i at the end of the day i just don't think anyone has the right answer and we won't know who had the right answer until we see these kids grow up oh um, yeah that, that's definitely true so i'm just imagining like uh, like uh in like a consent consent situation with dylan like, have you but have you considered the role social media is going to play in our kids lives i don't know if i'm ready for that that's that's my first date question <laughs> do you believe in god <laughs> Uh, okay so um just to finish up on the idea of social media the other thing that um Kayla engages in and something that I kind of relate to is uh, content creation, uh, especially at that age, because uh, when I was in seven, like when I was in seventh grade is when I first got Pinnacle 7, which was the video editing software that I used to make videos. And I've been in that... I don't know. It's so pretentious to call yourself a content creator, but I've been like making silly videos <laughs> and, and audio things ever since then. Uh, and I relate to that aspect of uh, of her character and i think that that's only going to become a more common part of children's lives is what are you creating how are you even if it's just like posting on twitter or facebook or whatever social media you're creating something expressing yourself and it's becoming a more and more regular part of everybody's life um i think that even though we are just consuming like crazy i think the end bar for entry for uh producing is getting lower and lower uh and i think that's an important thing that they bring up here with her what is that photo booth the dude dude yeah dude. that's right um, so. <laughs> um yeah that's i mean that's definitely true i mean it's so easy now and like you go on youtube and you can see like just some guys with a camera sitting in their in their bedroom you know it's so easy to like the barrier for entry exactly what you said is so low now so um i feel like that's a good thing about today is that it's so much easier for you to start creating stuff if you have an idea um, but again, it's almost overwhelming to think like, oh, there's so many other people out there doing the same thing that I'm doing. Um, but it's, 
you can't have to, you can't worry about that. You know, people, this is, that's kind of always been true. It's just that now that you can see it. And it's really about like, you know, finding something that you're passionate about and finding something that you're, you're interested in. Yeah. And it's, it's also kind of a, at least to me, it's kind of a cathartic experience, like being able to create something. There's like instant gratification in having a tangible thing and be like, I made that. And you can, and especially if you do it for a long period of time, you not only have a history behind you, something you can look back on and say, look at all the work that I've done that, that I can, I can reflect on and say, this is something I've done at the same time. It's, it's like any other hobby. You can get better at it and say today, I will try to improve myself. And I think that that's something that uh, is really enjoyable no matter what you're doing, whether it's content creation, whether it's, you know, jujitsu fighting or playing an instrument. It's <laughs> it's all something that you can improve on. And I think that uh, as, as just a, a human, it's something that you really enjoy. OK, let's get off of social media. Let's let's move forward here a little bit. Eighth middle school is a really uh, common time to learn about sex. I was I I came into this film thinking that that was going to be an even bigger part of this movie because I remember in middle school sex was this weird topic that I you know you're interested in but you're also scared of and and people tell you things that aren't true about it and that really there's a lot of uh, misinformation there and uh, <laughs> they get right into it with like the sex ed thing at the beginning where they're like yeah you know, it's going to be lit it's going <laughs> it's going to be lit which I that part I was like they're not saying that in sex ed um, if anything. That's a good thing that someone in your sex ed video is saying it's lit because it means that you're watching something that was made in the last few years. Unlike me, I watched something that was like from the 80s or something on a VHS or some. I don't know. It was very I felt like I was getting outdated information when I was learned sex. Did ed. You, oh, you remember that scene from Mean Girls uh, where they're learning in health class and he says, like, if you do this, you will get pregnant and die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No matter what happens, you'll get pregnant and die. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I think they did it in a tasteful way in this movie. They, they were kind of edgy um, about like sex ed. Like the the banana thing is a really good example where you did. What about that kid masturbating in his seat? That, <laughs> <laughs> that was so. Yeah, that was that was a pretty. It was shocking yeah. to say the least. But I, I think like the searching the internet for the answers about sex. I think that's a very probably a common experience here um, and to like see it on YouTube, you know, like there are plenty of videos uh, and I'm not saying that normalizing sexual activity is a bad thing, but it makes you realize, whoa, kids have access to this like really easily. And you can see like the way that that part is directed is so good because you don't actually hear any of the things they're saying. You just read it and you see words popping up on the screen and it's like so I don't know. It's it's just awkward, and she's obviously a young girl, so it's like a, a weird topic to be exploring with a young yeah, girl. Like, her face is so priceless. She's just like, what? Like, <laughs> like I can't believe this is a thing. <laughs> so I I just I think that part of the movie was done really tastefully, and um, we'll get deeper into this uh, in the quote section. But Riley, uh, the a true creep, and uh, as uncomfortable as that scene is, probably the most uncomfortable scene in the whole movie. I think it's an important thing to explore, especially because this is a movie about a young girl in middle school uh, but we'll get deeper into that in a moment um i think we're ready to move on to our easter eggs and okay uh, i think we got some good ones in here mine is just kind of a a hidden thing you might not have seen because you can't pause the movie if you saw it in the theater when uh kayla is digging through her time capsule the one that she got 
on the superlatives day, she pulls out two movie tickets, and one of them is for the Lego movie, and one of them is for Wreck-It Ralph. And uh, we didn't watch the Lego movie on Affable Chat. We watched Lego Batman, so it's kind of the same thing. Same, so, same, I love Lego movies. It's one of my favorite movies. Yes, and, uh, and also Wreck-It Ralph, which we did an episode about, but... It never got finished. It was tragically lost. Sat, yeah, and we did a moment of silence for it on the 50th episode, so we don't need to do that here, but, you know, always in our thoughts. F's in the chat, please. Thoughts and prayers to uh, Wreck-It Ralph for not beginning made, but at least somebody has a reference to him here. Uh, yeah, Dylan, you had a uh, cool Easter egg, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel really guilty because you guys you guys were giving me so many, like, props for bringing up this Easter egg <laughs> before we got recording, and, like, I totally just lazily scanned over, like, like very true to form from this movie just sort of sitting like computer screen in front of my face like on amazon prime you can you can click on like a little like like pro tip for everyone here you can just click on like a little a little <laughs> tab that says like trivia or like see more while you're watching it and the scene where she um smashes her phone um i was reading that like apparently bo burnham made this deal with apple to give them a bunch of equipment for the movie for free like they're gonna give them computers phones like all kinds of stuff which i bet on a really low budget film is like a big deal and because yeah. they read the script and found out that she smashed her phone, they're like, we can't consent to like, like a movie where you destroy our products, which is just like the most Apple thing of Apple to say <laughs> to be to like to be that overprotective of like so like this sort of like Apple like crucifixion in in their in their movie. You know what I mean? Um, do, do I wonder what the alternative could have been? Like, could they uh, show it like she downloaded an app that like um, when you throw it, it just like returns to your hand or something? <laughs> you know, like it floats in the air and it's like. No, right back she throws the phone and she goes over. He's like, "Please don't be broken. Please don't be broken." She's like, "Oh, of course it's not broken. This is such a quality device. It would never shatter <laughs> if I dropped glass. it." Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so funny. And then she's like, "Even if it had broken, that would have been fine, since I have Apple Care <laughs> and I can go to the Genius Bar anytime." Yeah. <laughs> and then like another, there's like a whole scene where she just goes to the Apple Store and it's like a very painless experience. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's like an hour and a half longer of just for the genius bar. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I guess I could use a new computer too. Like, why not? Like, <laughs> oh god. Uh, okay. Um, I got an Easter egg. So the end credit scene, or that there's not an end credit scene. Sorry, the end ending credits. Uh, the, as they're scrolling by, um, it shows like some like red, blue, and green lights which is actually what a screen looks like. Those are pixels zoomed really, really far in. The reason I know this is because I saw a video on YouTube from the slow-mo guys, and they, they zoomed in one of their really nice cameras onto a really big, like a, like a nice LED, LED, um, LCD screen. And it, uh, it's really, really interesting. I mean, the way that that stuff works, because like the different, different like, uh, amounts of light from those three different like, pixels those three different lights give you all the different colors that you can see. So if you zoom in far enough in onto like a screen, then you see those. And it, like the, the, the credits kind of zoom further and further and further in until it's just on like one pixel. I thought that was kind of really interesting just because like you're seeing this very close up uh, vision of what Kayla is doing. And the movie does focus a lot on technology and her interactions with her phone and her computer. So to have that zoom in to the point of just kind of absurdity so that you can't even tell what it is anymore, I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway. Uh, let's move on to our quotes. Uh, my first quote um, happens near the beginning of the movie. We've already mentioned it once. I just think it's really great. Gucci. I I thought this is like I, just like Dylan said, right? This is like a real thing that Kayla said or Elsie uh, Fisher would say, but it's just kind of uh, 
I don't know. It's so, it's so funny because it's like it's almost really forced in a way. Like she's like she feels like she has to say it at the end. She has to have some sort of sign off, you know, which is such a like a I want to be a YouTuber thing to do. <laughs> you know, like got to have that thing I say every time. Please like and subscribe. Um, and yeah, it just kind of uh, bookends the movie in a nice way. It's just uh, a little funny thing that she has. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I just wanted to reiterate my point that I was trying to get across earlier is because that wasn't the same level of like relevant phrasing, I think that it helps this movie resist aging because it's not something that you're like, oh, I remember 2016, Gucci, everyone was saying that. No, it's just in, it's like a placeholder for like, you know, a word that would will eventually lose all meaning and just be uh, a mark of the time. So you can look back at this in 20 years and be like, they weren't necessarily saying Gucci, but they were saying something like Gucci in that same right, part right, of right. the sentence. Yeah, it's a placeholder for something else. I feel like a lot of the stuff is like that. Like the... um like the dabbing or saying like it's lit or whatever like it's so strange and like but like framed in a way that makes it like it's obvious to us who are familiar with those actions what that means but to someone in the future who maybe doesn't understand what that what that's a reference to i feel like it's still it could still be made clear through the context of the movie that this is them trying to relate to the youth culture in a way that doesn't make any sense <laughs> okay my next quote. I think you're so cool. I think you were so I'm cool. gonna stop when eating was, with hey, you if you I keep saying doing one, You said I could say one thing. Can I say one thing, please? Fine. Thank you. Look, when I was your age, I was not cool like you. You have all these interests and, and your videos and just how you express yourself in them is so, it's just so cool. It's so great. And I just, I just think maybe you just need to put yourself out there a little Please bit. Please stop. Like, like we, we've already kind of appreciated Josh Hamilton's performance. I really do like the dad character in this movie. I feel like he, he does such a good job of like building up his daughter. Um, and uh, I love that he kind of gives her a lot of the space, right? She says, I, like, on Fridays, I can do whatever I want. And he's like, I just want to say one thing, one thing. And it's like, you know, you think he's going to be a reproach, right? You think, you think he's going to say, oh, get off your phone. But no, he's like, no, like, I love you so much. And I think you're so great. And like, I wish I could be more like you. Ah, that's just like a, such a wholesome message that I really love. He really is like the, a good example for dads. And uh, I don't know, it's tough to always be that way with your kid because kids are freaking annoying. I mean, I was frustrated <laughs> with her in that scene and I'm not even her dad. You know, I was like, God, get off your phone while you're eating dinner. Like your dad made you this nice dinner and all that stuff. But they're, uh, they're obviously you know family members because i don't know dude sometimes you you feel like you have a license to be meaner to your your family members than you would anybody else because you're like ah they're family yeah. what are they gonna do get rid of me so uh <laughs> and so that's accurately done here but he's just so resilient in the face of her uh familiar familial treatment of him uh that it's just you know he's a bright shining uh light of positivity yeah. i think it is supposed to be subversive i think it's set up to be like he's gonna say like I'm so tired of you being on your phone or like, Oh, you need to put that away. Or like, you need to spend more time with me, but that's not what he does at all. Um, and I think his approach is way more effective because I mean, you see it the next morning when she says, um, you know, my lesson for today is putting yourself out there. Okay. My next quote hitting this hard. And like a big part of being confident is being brave and you can't be brave unless you're scared. Uh, this is something that, uh, my girlfriend recently, uh, reiterated to me uh, about myself, which I didn't really catch the first time I saw this movie in theaters. And it was 
it's something that really strikes me. You know, like, what does it mean to be brave? If you have nothing to be afraid of, then you aren't really ever being brave. So it's only when you put yourself out there and do something that you necessarily aren't comfortable with that you can really ever show true courage. So um, I thought that was really interesting. Just the aspect of like, you have to be scared in order to have courage, in order to be brave. It's a nice thing to have go through your head before you do something that you genuinely are scared of because yeah. uh, it, you know, if you're already scared, then you can step, you know, the next step is to become brave uh, because, you know, you don't, most of the time you don't want to be scared, uh, but, it, but you always want to be brave. It gives you something to aspire to. Exactly. <laughs> True. Okay. My next one. Uh, to answer your question, I, I, I do. And I'm like really good at them. This is when she's talking to Aiden, and he asks her if she uh, she does blowjobs. Oh my god! <laughs> and, she, and then the lights turn on, and she stands up, and in front of like the whole class, she's like, "To answer your question, I do," and I'm like really good at them. And then she goes home to research how how oral sex works. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I Aiden is such a great character because he's like so like detached and everything. And he's so like clueless about like uh, how he his effect on like Kayla. Um, and he's like this skinny kid, but like the, the, his like theme music is so hilarious too. Every time you see him on screen, I know it was just a hysterical moment. He, yeah, Aiden, I, we haven't talked about Aiden yet. This guy, I'm not a big fan of this guy. Um, <laughs> he was such like a, like, first off, he's kind of a douchebag. Like his treatment of the girls in this, like he obviously knows that he's attractive. Girls find him attractive and he's not, uh, and he kind of takes advantage of that. Obviously he's not that great of a guy. Um, but also like he's always wearing like very relevant sports jerseys. You know, he's like Manchester United or Steph Curry. You know, he's just the class, like a prototypical like douchey dude. And, uh, I don't know. I think they do a good job of making him look like a buffoon. Yeah, I I do like him a lot though. I mean, I, especially when you first see him, like like best eyes, right? And then he like looks up, and then the music drops. Oh my gosh, it's so hilarious! And Kayla's just like trying to say something to him, you know? She's like, "Uh, good job," whatever she says. And then he comes and talks to her directly, and she has no idea what to do later at the pool party. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good. Okay, uh, next quote I think comes from Dylan. Yeah. Um. So my first one, uh, is. Hey, how was the shadow? No, thing? you were being quiet, which is fine. Just like, don't be weird and quiet. Cause like, I look over at you and I think you're about to drive us into a tree or something, and then I get really freaked out and then I can't text my friends. So just like, be quiet and drive, and don't look weird and sad, please. That interaction she has with her dad in the car is like a lot of what you guys have already talked about. Just like, just how patient her dad is with everything, and how much abuse he takes for sake of like understanding how kind of like rough and awkward and just like horrible of a time in your life it is and how kind of like bad it can make you to be in eighth grade and just sort of feel tortured like that. So I thought it was really funny. I agree. I remember like my sister and I are similar age and I remember both of us being this way at certain times where your your parents not nece aren't necessarily doing anything. You just unleash some cruelty on them because you're just dealing with your emotions. And uh, they, I think they did a good job of encapsulating that with uh, Kayla here for sure um yeah and then the the next one that i had the 
That's I'm acknowledging that. I'm just saying, what? We have a triathlon for a kid that died two years ago? Oh my okay. God. No one was running for him then. He was fat oh then. Oh my God. I don't get You're why like, everyone has to act like they're his best like friend. That. No, it's because like oh he God. died. His whole future was stripped. Exactly. Did you just put a candle down? That doesn't like, mean that he was like a special person, though. Oh my Every God. Every school has a dead kid. You're such an Every Every single school has a dead kid. You guys are just following a We're following a We're following You don't even know him. Yeah, I'm respecting him. Oh my God, Kayla. Wait. Just like the heat coming from Trevor. <laughs> I, I don't even know if that necessarily taught me anything else about the movie. I just thought like the, the type of philosophical argument that high schoolers might be having at a food court. Like that seemed very appropriate. Oh yeah, definitely. And he brings up like, some other things too, where he kind of like says stuff that like is kind of abrasive, but he feels like it's kind of a good point. I don't know. I, I definitely can kind of relate to that in a way of like kind of being insensitive, but like trying to have a conversation that seems like it's meaningful. Um, I don't know. Like the thinking about his like, uh, logic for why like they have a triathlon for a kid that died two years ago. I mean that, like, it's awful that someone died and that uh, like that's that's what happened. But it's also like it can something good can come from it. You know, now all these things like, you know, all the people are coming out there and, and you know, participating in the sporting event. I'm sure it's raising money for other kids that are in a similar situation. You know, it's a it it could be, um, you know, something that lasts a long time. So, it like. He seems as if he has like a lot of opinions, uh, but he doesn't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily good opinions, but you can see how like his kind of abrasiveness may lead him to becoming some sort of like pundit. He, yeah, he loves to play devil's advocate because the other thing he defends is the one girl is like, yeah, this guy sent me a picture that he cropped of just my feet. And he's like, he was just flirting with you. Like he's trying to <laughs> defend the creepy guy who's sending this girl feet pics. Uh, so yeah, he's just, I, I like Trevor because he's a appropriate representative in this movie for like an edgy high schooler, you know, who's just yeah. starting to figure stuff out. And now he's going to the edge and seeing how, you know, how far he can push things. So yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite like minor roles in this movie. Okay. I got um, my next one is, uh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> Choose or dare. I'll take dare. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Put this quarter in your mouth. First of all, great dare. Yes. Second of all, hate truth or dare. It's a terrible game. It's really stupid. This is the second movie that we've watched um, that uh, that that kind of subverts the truth or dare in a, in a funny way. Birdman does this too, where um. Uh, uh, what's her name? Emma Stone tries to get Edward Norton to play Truth or Dare with him, also in a sexual context, right? And then uh, she uh, he dares her to spit on some bald guy's head, and she's like, at first she says no, <laughs> like ew, I don't expect that at all. This is similar to me, where she's like, let me find something gross for you to do, and, and he refuses to do it, which is just even more hysterical. And it gives you a clear indication of what she's going for here. He's obviously going, like, she is trying to play along. She is trying to, just like any social situation she's in, she's trying to figure it out and survive it. But, yeah. you know, he's doing this, like, I want to, you know, before he hasn't taken his shirt off yet, but she's like, hey, do this gross thing, because it's truth or dare, I'm going to make you do something you don't want to do, versus what he proposes instead, which is to take his shirt off. So they're like, it's very clear that these people are in two different mindsets, which I think is really appropriate to establish before they continue with how that scene goes. And what I'm curious about is like, when does Kayla realize what's going to happen? You know, it's I mean, for me, like as soon as I as soon as he gets back in, like, you know, as soon as he pulls over and gets in the back seat, it's obvious what he wants. 
And then when he says truth or dare, I feel like that's like it's almost explicit at that point, right? But she's you know she's willing to suspend that you know that idea for as long as as it's as possible until you know he's explicit about what he wants her to do. So I, I'm curious to know like at what point does she know what where he's going and like is this an attempt to um you know move the conversation into a different direction or is she just you know trying to play the game i don't know it's tough to know for sure but uh where exactly she makes the decision but she's definitely reached that conclusion by the time he asks her to take her shirt off because that's when we get the definitive no and it's yes and i i mean like to counter what dylan said earlier i feel like this is such a good scene to show to girls to show like how easy it is for you to just say no you know to to even in like you said you see throughout the whole movie kayla like struggles to assert herself so much but in this moment when it's really crucial that she does she does it like flawlessly and i feel like that's a really good thing to take away from this movie to show like no matter what the situation is like no matter how uncomfortable you are you can still take power back and and make the right choice for yourself right and and i um our next quote it happens right after that scene so I'll, i'll play that and we'll keep this discussion going Sorry. Stop saying you're sorry. I said it was fine, dude, okay? So stop saying that, okay? You know, and now you're gonna have your first hookup with some asshole at a party, and you're not gonna be good at it, and he's gonna tell all his friends about it, and you're gonna get made fun of and feel like shit. Do you want that? No. This was about you, okay? I'm, I'm trying. I was trying to help you, okay? I know. I, I really appreciate it. I just... I, 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 sorry, I mean, it was just, it it was a lot at once, you know, I, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't want to do that right now. So this conversation, I think, indicates a lot. It's, it's him gaslighting her after he tried to sexually assault her. So it's, you know, adding insult to injury. Uh, but I think, again, it's a good example for young girls to see, especially if they're older than than uh, Kayla, where they can see it's like, okay, he is gaslighting her here. It's very clear to the audience that what he's saying is not true and that it's such a yeah. silly thing for him to put into her head and for her to have anxiety about, that she's going to hook up with someone and th- like this horrible thing is going to happen because eventually somewhere down the line it's going to be some other guy, um, you know, that's, and that it's an absolute certainty that it's going to happen. That's so, so ridiculous. Right, exactly. Um, so, and when she, and then, I mean, he starts that conversation by saying, like, watch out for guys, you know, <sighs> like, be careful of creepy guys. They're going to be all over you and everything. Like, it's like that whole rhetoric of like i'm the nice guy i'm looking out for you i'm i'm you know like this is for your benefit um like that whole narrative is so like backwards and t- kind of terrifying because you know that like people use that that argument to get what they want right and you see how it affects her as well she feels so uh responsible for that you know she feels like yeah she blames herself Yeah, she should have gone along with it and then that everything would have been fine but because she took action she feels so guilty um which is so important to know that that's not the right response, right? First, it's, it's important to indicate that this is something that can potentially happen in a young girl's life and that that's a bad thing and it's a shared experience. But at the same time, uh, by showing it to us in this way, and hopefully for people who are older can look in that and say, okay, it's clearly obvious that she shouldn't be feeling guilty in this situation and that this guy is a horrible, horrible person. For sure. There was a, I've listened to this podcast about like, 
like consent and how these uh th- there's like this this feeling among women of like i should just you know i should just give him what he wants let it get it over with that would make things easier you know like instead of having him pressure over and over again and like us kind of going back and forth about you know where is this going to ha- where is this going to end up i should just give in um which is like i mean it's scary to think that like people are 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 making that decision um not of their own free will but because they feel pressured to and in this situation for sure like you know Kayla would have Kayla certainly would have regretted it if she had hooked up with Riley but if it, she still ends up regretting it in this moment too especially like you know in the couple of days when she's kind of recovering from this whole experience like either way it's like either way she doesn't turn out better for it and it's because of you know Riley's inability to control himself it's a real shame it's really uncomfortable but i think it's a necessary part to have in this uh in this discussion okay um my next quote what was in there nothing really um just sort of my hopes and dreams i really like this part just because it seems like like she's so dramatic she's saying like oh i'm burning up all my hopes and dreams putting it in this box and now i'm never gonna hope and dream again but then she sees she kind of recovers from that too right she makes a new box that says the same thing has a video in it it's very similar to the old thing it's like very cyclical in that way but um i feel like this scene especially kind of like uh shows her loss of innocence in a way she goes through these experiences. She sees high school. She like you know she meets with Riley and all that. All of that kind of like strips away her kind of view of how the world works. And because of that, she feels like she can't be the person that she was back in um in middle school. And you can see that in her reflection of her uh, of her video that she records for herself at the end of high school, where she's like, oh, instead of just saying, oh, do you have a boyfriend? She says, oh, do you have, do you have a boyfriend? Oh, it's okay if you don't. You know, she's trying to qualify how she feels now. So that she can, you know, watch this future, watch this as her future self, and realize that, you know, she's not expecting anything. She just wants to be okay. Yeah, and also she's like, if you do have a boyfriend, he better be treating you right because you deserve it. And preach, yeah. sister, preach. <laughs> okay, I got another quote. Cause like, you know, I'd love her because she's my daughter, you know, but I don't know. I just. I think if she turned out like me, that being her mom would make me really sad. Um, this one really, really, really hits me home. Um, and I, kind of like Dylan was saying earlier, how there's a lot of things in this movie that articulated something that I had been feeling but didn't really understand. This was a big one for me, where I often feel like, you know, like, oh, if you're friends with me, oh, like, you're, you know, my family member, you're my girlfriend. Like, I feel like being that person and having to deal with me would probably make you really sad. And if I had a friend that was like me, I would be sad for them. And, like, seeing the dad's reaction to this of how, like, how he's like, no, you're wrong. Like, that's not how I feel at all. Like, I I see all the wonderful parts of you. And sure, there are bad days and stuff, and I'm sad when when you're sad. But I'm not sad because of you. I'm so happy because of you. Um, Was so, like uplifting for me and i i realize that i think this about myself a lot and seeing how and making that jump between like how i see myself and how other people see me 
may like uh and saying that that's not the same person is a uh I don't know, a big leap <laughs> in my personal life. Oh, yeah, especially uh, it's a ringing endorsement for, you know, embarking on the journey that is being a parent. And uh, even though it's obviously tough, this movie is full of reasons why raising a kid is tough. But it's he says it makes him happier than anything else. And that's um, it, it's a really authentic expression of how he feels. So it makes you be like, man, I should be a dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's um. It's incredible, really. It's a really, really, really amazing scene, and very much warranted, and um, you can feel every moment of it. Okay, one more. Can it be weird at all to you? Like, uh, no, no. Yeah, I'm, okay, good. You're, I'm just, you're fine. I'm just nervous, yeah. No, no, no it's fine. Um, I am too. Yeah. yeah. This is uh, Gabe uh, talking to um, Kayla, and this is when you kind of see that he's very similar to her, and that she has, uh, you know, she's very self-aware, and so is he. He's very like self-conscious about how he's acting and um, how people perceive him. Um, and I, there was a bunch of interviews that I watched about uh, with Bo Burnham. And one of them, he or a couple of them, he talks about how this movie is about being in on the joke of yourself. About how you like at this age, you're so self-aware that you think it's absurd, but you also realize that everyone else is kind of feeling that same way. And so it's like this big joke of like, oh, I'm so weird, but also like I'm terrified. Um, so like. Being in on the joke yourself, I feel like this uh, this one scene um, kind of exemplifies that near the end of how like these kids see themselves and how they're kind of growing to uh, um, view themselves as other people view them. Well, okay. I think this scene is your reward for having made it slogged through all the <laughs> awkwardness and all the cringe and the the, the horror uh, that takes place in this movie. And, and you get this amazingly wholesome and also ridiculously awkward scene between uh, Gabe and Kayla. And it's just it's just amazing. I, I like so authentic, so awkward and uh, so cute. At the same time, um, yes, watching is. this movie again was really tough, but I was happy when I made it to this point once again. Yeah, and, and like I was saying with, with sort of her videos throughout the movie too, like there's so many scenes where you're, you're seeing people not say what they're really thinking or what you know they're really thinking. So to have like one scene where both characters are in a room together and they express their anxieties, like just like straightforward, she's just like, Am I being like too quiet? Like that—that that is, yeah. Like you said, it's really satisfying. It feels like a reward, Ben, because it's like a breath of fresh air. Which is so funny to say that, like this awkward chicken nugget date is like a, <laughs> and it's like not a date, but you know what I mean. Like it's a it date. Is, I think it's a date. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I well, I guess maybe it doesn't matter if it's like a date date. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but the fact that that's like your breath of fresh air is really interesting in this movie, and kind of a testament to how powerful this movie is by like showing things but not directly telling them to you um about how the characters are feeling yeah it's great yeah. i um i definitely need to get some lightsaber uh silverware in my <laughs> life because that was that was fantastic um uh, i love it when he has the uh, the archery um yeah he, uh, <laughs> oh, oh i just <laughs> like he like leaves it out oh sorry about that amazing <laughs> so transparent oh my god <laughs> okay so that okay. wraps up the quote section joey i think you know what time it is it is time for us to go a little deeper Dylan, as I'm sure you know, uh, this is the section of the movie where we explore some of the topics and themes from the film in a little more detail. So uh, what did you want to talk about in our deeper section? 
Yeah. So the thing I want to talk about, we've already touched on a little bit, um, but I, but of course I wanted to go deeper on it, um, is the <laughs> way that the, the movie um, addresses the idea of anxiety and creates like a universality to it by exploring like this one, like, you know, 14, 13 year old girl's life. Um, you know, like some of the kind of backstory on this movie that I know I had seen around the time they came out is like Bo Burnham apparently was just having like panic attacks for years um, before he would go on stage. And he, the reason that I think he kind of expressed it. He felt this strong sense of anxiety was that he would go out on stage and be one person. And before and after those shows, he would feel like a different person, you know, beforehand, you know, he would feel all the kind of dread and anxiety and loneliness that we, we've talked about throughout this podcast. And I think this movie is really powerful in presenting that same way. So, you know, for Bo Burnham, it's the stage, right? The stage is the area where he has to be this other self, where he has to ignore and forget about all the things that he's really feeling inside. And, you know, for, for Kayla and for all these acres in the movie, it's social media, right? Like they're, you know, she wakes up in the morning and she she puts that picture of herself on Snapchat. But like, of course, that's not to explain, you know, all the process and dread that goes to the like the hour long makeup session before and then all the stressing that comes after it of thinking how people will respond to it. So I just think that, you know, we've talked a lot about the way this movie presents anxiety, but I think the most powerful part of all of that is how it presents in a way that no matter how you feel those emotions, you can completely understand, like why people go through it and 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 the reasons that people get upset about things like that. Yeah, I mean, like, what, like, what is your stage, right? Like, for me, it's like going to work and presenting a certain like attitude and everything. Like, I, I try to be the same person in, in all the places because it's easier and better that way. But you know, you don't act or talk the same way you do in in uh you know on stage that you do in like on your own and in private. So, I mean, even this podcast, right? Like, I'm presenting a certain side of myself more than i am presenting like my quiet kind of reserve side so like to say that uh like this movie kind of shows those two sides in a, in a duality like that duality and having to deal with that and how that creates this um anxiety this stress between those two you know pieces of your personality yeah i never really thought about it that way but you're definitely right and um yeah thanks for bringing that up dylan that's awesome yeah, no, I agree. It's uh you're right at home here on the podcast, Dylan. We uh, <laughs> uh so my uh my deeper subject is is uh something I just wanted to touch on very lightly. Uh on this podcast, uh, we've talked about uh, Captain Marvel, we've talked about Star Wars, and I want to use this movie as kind of a counterexample for bringing current real life issues uh into a film so this movie uses real life as a basis to tell a compelling story and provides commentary on the world that we live in uh you know stuff like sexual assault and aggressive young males two things that are very uh i think important issues of our time uh you know especially with things like me too and we've discussed this lightly on various different movies um but it makes perfect sense to have it in a movie that's about the current eighth grade experience. Uh, it would almost, the movie would be incomplete if you didn't include these kind of ideas. Um, so it works very well. And it's a great way to, to deliver commentary and to, to deliver a message. Now, let's compare that with Captain Marvel and Star Wars, where they prop up their fictional universes with real like with things from real life certain aspects of real life in order to provide commentary and in my opinion that cheapens these fictional universes they're creating when you create the the marvel cinematic universe or you create the star wars cinematic universe anything you want can be true people can fly you know there are people live in asgard and have hammers you know there's there's all these different things anything <laughs> is possible and when you make 
We certainly don't have hammers now. I That's mean. true. There's that one hammer got destroyed. But that, listen, they... When you bring in things like misogyny, when you bring in things like sexism into those worlds, that's fine. It, it's it's obviously everything is a choice uh, when you bring into a fictional universe. But um, you have the opportunity to make it so that women aren't being uh, like uh, treated like second rate humans. They can just be equals or even superiors. You have that choice to make. And when you shoehorn that in, it's fine if you're trying to make that commentary. That's fine. But you have to understand how palatable that is when you compare that to something like eighth grade, where it makes perfect sense to be attacking those ideas uh, because they are so ground in real life. So I just think Captain Marvel versus space sexism and the women of Star Wars versus uh, intergalactic misogyny um, feels like it cheapens (laughs) the experience because it those... the women of Star Wars don't necessarily have to suffer from the same problems of the women of Earth in 2019. Yeah, well, the thing that makes movies and like the, like as a medium so interesting is that you can explore all these ideas in so many different ways. I mean, Marvel and Star Wars are great examples of escapism, of us going to another place to see how things work and, you know, overcoming, uh, you know, there's always a happy ending, overcoming adversity, you know, and, and making those like, um, you know, there's, no, there's never a doubt that it's going to end a certain way. Um, even if it takes, you know, 20 movies to get there. The, but for a movie like Eighth Grade, it's really kind of this cathartic, you know, real look at what we, like, deal with on an everyday basis, you know? It's, it's more, it has more to say, and it does it in a way that's way more, like, palatable, way more useful, I think, than these movies that are, like, pitching themselves as being escapism, you know? It, like... I feel like today, more than ever, every statement is a political statement. And the, the, the more you can get away from that and the more you can kind of talk about specific things, the, the, better, like, the better you're going to come off and the better you're going to, like, the, the more effective your argument's going to be. Right. And, and I'm not trying to say this to be like, don't put feminism in my movies. Don't treat women equal in my movies. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that there are different ways to express that. And when you put that into a escapism type movie, there are certain parts of your audience who are going to, that's going to come across as really shoehorned and very coarse to them. Uh, when you still have the opportunity to make the same kind of points and, and even uh, elaborate on them more deeply in a situation like eighth grade. It's something where uh, you are trying to focus on the aspects of real life. So yeah, um, you have to pick your battles. Exactly. And and again, I think the purpose here is to adequately get your message across. Uh, so uh, this is an opportunity to do that as opposed to Star Wars, where people are coming for one thing and potentially uh, being served up uh, something different. Yeah, just like uh, one more quick example of the same thing you're talking about, too. I know there was a thing like last week where JK Rowling was getting kind of roasted on Twitter because she was like really <laughs> hammering home the like, no, but you guys like Dumbledore was gay. And, yeah. and we, which is like, like we were fine with the implication of it is why everyone got mad. It's like, you don't need to come out and explicitly say that because that doesn't retroactively make him some sort of like, like warrior for like, for like gay rights or for like, you know, like all love is, you know what I mean? That doesn't make, so like a movie like Call Me By Your Name is a lot more effective than going back into Harry Potter and saying like, but yeah, he was in love with the other wizard or whatever. (laughs) So I I just think that like there, that is evidence that like even, you know, franchises that like Harry Potter that I do actually feel are kind of like progressive and about, you know, like, uh, like in a lot of ways, people are still not really receptive to that. You know what I mean? So um, I just find it interesting. I mean, if you're going to address like, there's, it's one thing to 
make it a, a topic and it's another thing to address it explicitly you know uh, I mean, well, that's not what I mean. I mean, it's one thing to make it something that you address explicitly, and one thing to just have it be a certain way, right? Like, like, like ben is, Benjamin is keeps saying, like, there's a, uh, like, if you just have women in power in these movies, and you just treat them as if they are, like, like you treat all the men in your movies, then you have no issue, and you're still kind of making a statement, but you're not, but you're not breaking the immersion by saying, oh, and by the way, like, sexism exists. And you're like, she has to deal with all this. And that's what makes her strong. Like, it cheapens that argument in, in a big way, um, especially when you can make such a good point. Like, this is what been, been going in circles. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you guys. Okay, my topic um, is for, uh, it's kind of related to uh, the technology aspect of this. So, I saw this video by the Vlog Brothers. Um, it's called um, On Prepositions. Uh, it's really interesting. It's, I, I highly recommend it. It's only like three minutes long. Um, he talks about how prepositions in, in English don't make any sense, um, and there's all these different examples. He does a really good job with it. But the one that he highlights is in your phone versus on your phone. Like, do you feel like when you're using your phone, you're on the phone, or are you in your phone? And I really like this idea, because especially how they show it in this movie, where Kayla seems like she's totally immersed in this digital world, and she, like the rest of the world is is outside and i use the word immersed purposely she feels like she feel you feel like she's inside it and i feel this way too when i'm on my when i'm on my phone i feel like i'm actually inside it i feel like my head is in there and i'm like all the stuff that happens around me is you know kind of noise or just like falls to the background i'm not even kind of aware of the stuff that's happening around me and it uh you know i i'm so much more engaged in the thing that's i'm holding in my phone i just think that's an interesting idea and it kind of reframes like the way you use it, you know, it makes it far less casual. It makes it more of like a commitment that you have to make. Oh yeah, I um, I definitely think that when you look at your phone, you kind of transport to somewhere else, and that's why I, it's so. It like I, I think there used to be a discussion on whether it was rude to use your phone like while you're at like at a at a meal with people. I don't think that that really is up for debate anymore. I think it is rude. What you're doing is you're you're leaving this current situation and going somewhere else. And sometimes people will do that at the first sign of a lull in the conversation. Yeah. Sometimes people will do it because it's actually something pertinent that they have to address. But I I always especially like when I go out to lunch with my coworkers or people that I don't always uh, have an opportunity to eat with, I'll do, I'll make it a point not to look at my phone, even if there's a, there's silence for like multiple minutes because well, other people are looking at their phones. Well, sure. Yeah. Because I want to be present uh, because when you do take a look, when you start scrolling Twitter, uh, especially when there's nothing there, right? You're just staring at a screen because your anxiety, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that you can, uh, you do transport. I think that it, it does mean that you're in your phone when you're taking a look. Okay. Well, this has been great. So do you want to move on to our ratings? Let's do it. Let's move on to our ratings. And uh, Dylan, do you uh, want to give yours first? Um, yeah. So <laughs> mine is one elongated huff from a highlighter pen, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> really lame. Do you have a specific flavor in mind? Um, <laughs> flavor? <laughs> I, yeah. Well, no, okay. Well, I will say this, this movie really did throw me back to a, the idea of huffing Sharpies and highlighters, which were <laughs> like, people used to say was like the most dangerous thing you could ever do. But, but also like, I, well, I will say Sharpie, black Sharpie is, is my preferred flavor. Just like, a pure okay. a pure and that's what i i will say that this movie does give you that feeling of like it is like this weird kind of 
high but it also is like the weirdest thing you can ever be doing um and it made me really nostalgic to see uh that kid like you know within 15 seconds of this movie uh like throwback to thinking that that, so that that made you rebellious that you were huffing on it like a marker in class. <laughs> like oh, yeah. Yeah, that part of the movie is full of those like sniffing markers braces on your rubber band or rubber bands on your yes, braces yeah. um like walking through the crowded hallway i don't walk through any sort of crowd like that anymore where you're just shoulder to shoulder with other huge back Backpacks, um, yeah. stacking markers end over end. Don't do that anymore, really. Um, like doing something in art class, and then that the end of that montage is sex ed. So very relatable uh, sequence there. Yeah, do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. Uh, I give this movie a cute and awkward date with Gabe. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> okay, um, I give this movie a time capsule that I will open in four years. Nice. I, I think that's a really good idea to watch this, I don't know, four years, five years, ten years, whatever, watch this somewhere down the road and see how it holds up. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be interesting. Okay, so th- those are our ratings. I think we all had some pretty positive feelings about this film. Uh, Dylan, we want to thank you so much for coming on and joining us here on Affable Chat. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. Super honored to be on the podcast. Um, especially now that you guys have hit the 50 episode mark. I don't know if I would have said yeah. I, I wouldn't have come on before with a, a show with less experience. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I guess, I guess like you can follow me on Twitter. Like just that seems kind of true to the theme. Like if you want to live your online life with my online life, like uh, I'm at Dill and Thompson, which is really confusing. And like, I'm not even going to spell it because if you don't follow me, I don't care. Um, It'll be in the description. <laughs> yeah we'll put it oh, in the okay cool the other thing i <laughs> guess i'll shout out is like like uh, this is so lame to say but like i have like a blog if you want to read it <laughs> I, What's it about? I write about music uh or like things that are tangential to music um it's called mas importante music um which like obviously means most important music if you like listening to music and you like hearing about new music and you like some 24 year old who you don't know joking about music while you hear about it then that's the place so come check it out highly recommend mas importante uh i regularly read dylan's blog and uh like it and retweet it on my twitter uh we'll also include a link to that in the description so thank you so much dylan joey why don't you tell us what's next on affable chat next we are doing smash bros ultimate yes which uh, if you're a regular listener, you might real you might notice that this is not a movie; it's a video game, and this is part of something we talked about in our 50th episode. We're going to be exploring uh, various things outside of cinema uh, to evaluate with kind of the format that we've nailed down here. So uh, we'll be talking about Smash Bros. Ultimate next week. I'm really excited about that. Okay, I think that that is going to do it for our episode on eighth grade for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin, and I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at Affable Chat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.